I was tempted uh, this week to not do this message and do the portions and passages uh, because this week in both the Christian readings and the Jewish readings, the connection and the harmony of them is, uh, is uh, so uh, significant uh, and particularly the uh, relationship to uh, what we're talking about in this service today, uh, I was tempted to uh, address that. But I lost last week and may lose others and want to talk about this transition. I've talked about the shift and the transition that the Disciple Center needs to make to address the needs of our children and the congregation for the next stage of our congregational life and ministry. Congregations, like people, have a life cycle. Congregations form, they establish a personality. If you think about it, Corinth and and, uh, Thessalonica were not the same. Uh, You can tell that by the letters that Paul wrote to them. Uh, They establish a personality, they reproduce, and they uh, become leaders and mature functioning uh, bodies within fellowships of churches. Uh, and they produce a legacy, and then at some point they cease. The dynamics of this congregation life cycle, uh, and all congregations, is affected by their history, by their location, by their membership, by their denominational tradition, and the surrounding culture, uh, and the shifting that takes place in that. The Disciple Center has been formed, and the personality of the congregation is well established. We're now in the period of reproduction. Reproduction is the time when we produce the next generation and raise them, and when we establish additional congregations. I want to talk about the first part of that this today. Uh, the production of the next generation, which is the first part of that reproduction, begins with having children. I will have little to say about that, because I believe we're fairly successful on that part. So uh, I don't really have anything to say about that. But if you produce a child, you must raise that child, uh, contrary to American common thought. Uh, Raising those children to be mature and committed disciples is part of the goals that I mentioned when I talked about this a couple of weeks ago. Uh, And one of the questions I asked about that is how do we redeem the time in order uh, to set our lives to discipling our children in our homes? How do we develop and maintain and provide materials and resources we need to enhance and maintain the faith in our own lives and marriages, in our households, and, and for our children? What do we presently have? What do we need to get? And what do we have that's now no longer needed? Um, Maybe a garage sale of some of these things. We must have as a goal that our children will marry and establish Judeo-Christian households. And, if need be, congregations that are appropriate as such communities of faith. If you prepare your children for career before and instead of marriage household, and community, uh, you will fail as a religious parent, and you will be the norm of American parenting. Religious parenting sees the kingdom of God first 
and all these things will be added unto you. If you don't do that in your parenting, don't quote that verse. Don't go around saying, uh, seek first the kingdom of God and all these things will be added, because you don't believe it. it. It really is important that we look at these children and say, we need to raise them to be good, godly men and women who will form marriages and households and live in communities of faith. And, of course, we want them to make a living. But if we focus on the career first, we will be uh, unlikely to do the latter. The truth is, if we focus on the kingdom, the other things will be added in that context. So I want to talk uh, about this, but I want to read a passage that's uh, both one of the readings for this week and fits into this. It's, it's Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 1 to 9. Deuteronomy 6, 1 to 9 says, This is the commandments, the statutes, and the judgments which the Lord your God has commanded me to teach you that you might do them in the land where you are going to possess it, so that you and your son and your grandson might fear the Lord your God to keep his statutes, his commandments, which I command you all the days of your life, and that your days may be prolonged. Israel, you should listen and be careful to do it. And I would say church as well. That, you may, that it may be well with you and that you may multiply greatly, just as the Lord your God of your fathers has promised you in a land flowing with milk and honey in the kingdom that is to come. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. These words which I am commanding you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your sons and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise up, you shall bind them as a sign on your hand. They shall be as frontals on your forehead. In other words, you'll memorize them and do them. Uh, you shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. And it will come about when the Lord your God brings you into a land which he swore to your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give you great and splendid cities which you did not build, houses and of good things which you did not fill, and hewn cisterns which you did not dig, vineyards and olive trees which you did not plant, and you eat and are satisfied, then watch yourself that you do not forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. God is reminding Israel that they must walk in His ways. If they walk in the ways of the world, if they begin to get too many of the things of the world, they will forget Him. And so the idea is that we must have in mind three generations. Our generation, the generation of our children, the generation of our grandchildren, so that this faith will be passed down fully and will be uh, in a community both in their households and in their, uh, in their hearts. Now I said that we have to redeem the time. This is appropriate since today is Time Change Sunday. Uh, we... We treat time as if it's a real thing. We play around with clocks thinking that we're actually shifting time and we have more time or less time. A very ridiculous uh, idea. Uh, but the Bible does talk about time. Uh, if you believe in time as minutes and hours, you believe in a meaningless concept. Time is a construct that is about events and about behavior. So in Ecclesiastes... Chapter 3, 
We have a passage that addresses this, and I'd like you to turn with me to that passage. Ecclesiastes chapter 3, it will be very hard for me not to say, turn, 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 at some point, but I will try not to do it. There is an appointed time for everything. There is a time for every event under heaven. A time to give birth and a time to die. A time to plant and a time to uproot what is planted. A time to kill and a time to heal. A time to tear down and a time to build up. A time to weep and a time to laugh. A time to mourn and a time to dance. A time to throw stones and a time to gather stones. A time to embrace and a time to shun embracing. A time to search and a time to give up as lost. A time to keep and a time to throw away. A time to tear apart and a time to sew together. A time to be silent and a time to speak. A time to love and a time to hate. A time for war and a time for peace. What profit is there to the worker from all that he toils? I have seen the task which God has given the sons of men with which to occupy themselves. He has made everything appropriate in its time. He has also set eternity in their hearts so that man will not find out the work which God has done from the beginning even to the end. I know that there is nothing better for them than to rejoice and to do good in one's lifetime. Moreover, that every man who eats and drinks sees good in all his labor, it is the gift of God. I know that everything God does will remain forever. There is nothing that can be added, nothing that can be taken away from it. For God has so worked that men should fear him. That which has already been and which will be has already been. For God seeks what is passed by. Furthermore, I have seen under the sun that the place of justice there is wickedness, and in the place of righteousness there is wickedness. And I said to myself, God will judge both the righteous man and the wicked man for a time for every matter and for every deed is there. He goes on to talk about death. Now this passage is really about time management and stewardship. It's telling us that there is a time set by God with everything appropriate to its place and eternity as the focus. And there is a time to man and the time to man is about now and what he can do and what he can get. And those two foci are what we struggle with all the time. And so in some sense, uh, there is the righteous man who trusts and obey God. And he's allowed to enjoy the simple pleasures of this world. But he is not to become entangled in them. The wicked man trusts in himself and in his culture. And he obeys his passions. And the conformity to this world. Uh, and he may slightly acknowledge God. But it doesn't have a lot of eternal significance. Trusting and obeying God is a discipline. It's a discipleship that is word-based, spirit-led, and home and community reinforced. And I am going to drive you crazy with this as I watch these children grow up, knowing that we have a limited amount of time that we can bend them and shape them and raise them in the way that they should go. 
Some of us will not be here when they are adults. Maybe because of natural life, maybe because of accidents. We have now, and now is when we need to be working on this stuff. So, we are commanded by God to redeem and make the most of the time that we have. In Ephesians chapter 5, we get the advice of the Apostle Paul with regard to this in verses 15 and in verses 16. In the context, he says that we are to be imitators of God. We are to walk in God's ways. We are not to follow the ways of darkness, but walk in the light and not even to be involved in many of the things that the culture around us is doing because it's a disgrace even to speak of those things. So he tells us to awake and arise from the dead and let Christ shine on us. In verse 15 he says, Therefore be careful how you walk, how you behave, how you live. Not as unwise men, but as wise, making the most of your time because the days are evil. So do not be foolish, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. There is a danger of us putting off the raising of the children, the discipling of the children, the development of spiritual uh, disciplines, and being sufficiently comforted by the fact that somebody has made a profession of faith and therefore everything is okay. A dangerous, dangerous notion. I am watching people in great anguish as they watch their children year after year walk away from what they've been taught. Walk away from the faith that was once professed. Walk away from the things. And the answer is not to have church. Uh, What we do when we worship is valuable, but we are presenting ourselves to God to set our compass. This does not, even the time that's going on in there right now with the children, has very little impact on them. And that's been tested and researched uh, incredibly. 24-7, one hour of being in this context against the whole rest of the week will not have an effect. I watch it all the time at Cal Baptist when new, the new generation comes in and they are churched, but they are not discipled. They think like postmoderns. They feel like postmoderns. Everything, even the word of God goes through a postmodern lens and it does damage to the word of God. They do not have a biblical mindset. They do not have a biblical worldview. They don't have the foundation that they need. And then when I begin to give it to them, they either get headaches because it drives them crazy or they feel frustrated that they've been ripped off or they don't care. The vast majority just don't care because they've said the magic words and they're going to heaven and now they're going to get as much of this life as they can. Proverbs has a lot to say about that. So we have to redeem the time. And particularly in our households, in our own lives, we need to to do this. Now, how do we do this? Well, if you continue reading Ephesians, we don't have time to do that. Paul immediately, immediately goes into the household and starts talking about the relationship of the husband and the wife and the children and the fathers. In other words, Paul knows that the focus of all of this 
has to be in the home. And the parents have to not be outsourcing their parenting to the schools and the churches and the sports organizations and everything else that's there where they just come and take pictures of their kid having a life. It's about bringing it into the home in a way that it becomes as normal and as natural to them as speaking their language. In order to do that, we must have religious homes, and that is the priority. And to do that, that means that we have to work on our marriages, lest they come apart. Uh, There's a big article in Christianity Today this week uh, about the damage going on in Christian marriages that never surface in the church until the divorce takes place. Because we don't have the transparency and the openness to be able to talk and work through those things. Uh, We do a little better in the Disciple Center, but those things are still uh, among us as well. So, the home must be a place that is clearly religious. Now, if somebody walked in from the, off the street into this building, I think very quickly they would figure that this is some kind of a religious institution. Okay? They could tell as they walked in, there's no sign on the door. But, but there's furniture and there's artwork and there's items that make it clear that this is a religious place. And the home must have that as well. If they watched what we did, they would say, these people are praying and singing and reading scripture. They are probably uh, some kind of religious group. In other words, you could not experience an hour in this place and not know that it is focused on the Lord and the Word of God. What about your home? How long would someone have to spend inside your home before they realize that that was a Christian marriage and a Christian home and Christian content was going on there? So we need three things in our homes. I've talked about these before. Just want to reiterate it as we move towards a discussion period. The home must have religious markers. When we talk about religious markers, we talk about uh, the biblical requirement of the mezuzah, the writing of the scriptures on the walls, on the gates, uh, the family altar that we talk about, and some uh, writing of the scriptures through art or directly written uh, in the walls. So at some point, we need to have these in our homes. Now, I suspect that most of you have a family altar somewhere in the house. I wonder how often it gets used and how often it gets adjusted uh, towards the timing. Um, It is really easy to set something up and then go on your way. I've got a lot of things in the house that I never use. I want to make sure that the altar is not one of those, that we make use of it. Uh, And so I uh, place the candles on Shabbat on the altar every week uh, as we reach a holy day. Items change onto that altar uh, so that it's there. Uh, I do some of my own prayers at that altar. We do the Advent candles lit at that altar. Uh, We make use of that. I want to make use of it more because I want Brenna to have that experience of that being a normal thing. If you use it, it will affect the children. I will always remember... Uh, Bill talking about when they went to Texas 
And the girls set up an altar because that's what you're supposed to have, you know. Uh, those things are important and we need to do that. Secondly, the home must have biblical roles and rules. Our husband and wife are our brother and sister in the Lord. They are included in the love one another's. <laughs> it's not just strangers, right? It's not just on those days. We have to learn how to do that. We have to be deliberate about loving our wives as Christ loved the church, entrusting ourselves as wives to the husbands, uh, being Discipline in teaching the children in the admonition and nurture of the Lord. Living a sincere and, and honest faith before them. Uh, so that they realize that this is part of who we are and not just what we do. Intentional one anothering in the home is important. Uh, I was talking yesterday with Linda. I want to put up a uh, poster frame in one place. She suggests another. Maybe we'll do both. Uh, where we put up some of these commandments and we're reminded and we talk about them uh, in the context of, of family and home uh, so that those things are, are part of our everyday life. And the home must have daily, weekly, and holy day participation. Prayers at the meals are important. Some level of personal devotions, observing of Shabbat or the Lord's Day in the home, the memorization. We, uh, as we do the, the Sabbath, we're doing the memorization of the, uh, uh, of the scriptures. And I, I got to tell you, um, when we first started, well, first of all, Brenna, she can do the Hebrew before any of us, you know, she's got that down. Uh, but I'm very happy that when I start reading those, my wife and my daughter are strongly participating in that. Uh, it says something. We're not doing it for Brenna. Brenna we are, will get the benefit from it. But we are doing it. And that's important. Children need... The reason I love the children in the congregation is they are seeing us worship God. And I'm wanting them to go, I can't wait till I'm an adult and I can worship God the way the the adults are uh, in that context. And then, of course, the holy days. Uh, the decor of the house should have religious content in it. The readings, the family liturgy. Today is All Saints Day. This is a good day if you have a memorial candle to have it lit in the home. Um, when, you're, when you're in the home, don't light a candle and leave home. Uh, you know, uh, that not a good idea. But we are about to access Advent. And Advent is going to enter us into Christmas and through Epiphany and Hanukkah. And there's a lot of things going on. I don't know what your family tradition is. Uh, we try to observe each of those. So I, I want something in Advent where we do the Advent candles. We have the Nativity set. We went out and got another one. Uh, yesterday we had a little one that we got in Bethlehem, but I wanted something a little more substantial that we're going to use. And uh, uh, then uh, the Hanukkah menorah and the uh, 
representation of that and uh, the 12 days of Christmas leading up to Epiphany. Uh, all of those things are valuable uh, for the children. Otherwise, the secularization of these holy days becomes the only real impact on the children's lives. And so it's important that we do that. So I'm hoping that uh, we will be able to talk about that. Now we need resources. I talked about uh, resources, but we have to have some conversations. I, I think uh, Trevor may have mentioned uh, last week that we need to know what's, what each other is doing. Uh, because in some sense, we can cross-pollinate our ideas. But in another sense, it helps those in leadership to know what we need to stretch and where we don't need it. One of the things that will stop a kid, this is a parenting technique. If you tell your kid to do something and they, they, are, they know to do it, uh, pretty soon they don't hear you at all. Okay? So you need to know what they already know so that you can stop telling them what they already know and tell them things they don't know. Because once they stop listening to you, they won't hear the things they don't know that you're telling them. And that, that's an important thing. It happens in the context of church too. If I keep saying things, and you guys, we're doing that, we're doing that, we're doing that, we did that, done that, bought the t-shirt, we've done that, okay, then I need to stop that and move to the next stage. And we need to know congregationally uh, what we're doing. And there are some people that want to do these things, don't know how to do these things, and would love to have you help them uh, uh, introduce them into their own homes. So this morning I talked about the uh, Bible that uh, is a beautiful Bible for an altar Bible with the artwork. I believe that illustrated Bibles are very helpful for children. Now, they're helpful for adults as well. But when there is good religious art that addresses some of the ideas of the, uh, of the scriptures, and in some cases the art is incorrect, right? You've got that wonderful Leonardo da Vinci's Last Supper, and they're all sitting on the same side of the table, right? Like they group themselves for the portrait, right? And that table is sitting up high, and that's not the way it was. But you can talk about the meaning of it using this, uh, a Renaissance picture, and then talk about something that is more Hebraic. Now, there is a uh, item that I'd like to recommend to you: the Messianic Jewish Family Bible that's just come out has artwork in it, and the artwork is intentionally Hebraic in its style. It's trying to give a an image that matches uh, the time of the actual events and the, uh, the culture of the time. And the, the artwork is similar to this one in black and white, uh, original artwork and very nice. Uh, and so I'd recommend that maybe you get one of those and you look at that artwork as well. It doesn't hurt when you take your kids to a museum or go to a museum and look through. I, I took uh, my oldest granddaughter up. We went to see a... Uh, uh, some ancient Bibles and some religious art. And we had a great day talking about what was biblical and not biblical in some of the art in that kind of context. And it, and it was a great time for she and I to be together. So those kinds of things are really important for us to do. 
We need to know what you need so that we can try to find where it is, to point you to it, or to make some of them available here at the Disciple Center. And then there are things that we may need to say, we don't need to do that right now. Uh, what We need to put our priority here, this can wait, or this we're done with that one, and we can, we can move on. So, uh, one of the things I want to do in just a few minutes is have a, a brief discussion about this. Um, but there are other questions that we have to talk about. We need to ask ourselves how we maintain and reinforce our relational community in this context. Uh, what are our strengths in doing that? And what can we do to reinforce our belonging to one another uh, all the more? And then we need to figure out a way to connect better and relate to the broader Jewish and Christian communities. And how does that, what does that look like? And how do we teach our children to do that as well? Those will wait for other times. But for this time, I really want us to think about the home and particularly these holy days that are about to uh, hit. And they're going to be here like the day after tomorrow. You know, it's going to be Thanksgiving and then it's going to be uh, Hanukkah and it's going to be Advent and it's going to be Christmas and it's going to be Epiphany. And, you know, and then it's going to be white sales in January uh, because, uh, you know, uh, while we all take back stuff that, that we need to take back. So I want you to think clearly as you see these children, what do we need to do in the home and reinforce in the congregation for their benefit that they will grow up to be mature disciples ready to establish households that are religious in nature and that are mature in their own discipleship so that they can raise the grandchildren, your grandchildren, in that manner. Let's pray. Father, we're grateful for your word.